on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eckerd Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We talk about the minimal impact the transfer portal had on OU's roster and the possibility of a 14-team Big 12 in 2023. Then Mike Golick Jr. joins us to talk about his new podcast with DraftKings, and we solve some of college football's problems with Mike. We finish up giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right? Our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, May 4th. May the 4th be with you, Ted. Yes. And you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack match, roulette, and Teddy's favorite, craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And the Beats and Bites Festival starts this month. Night Ranger and Starship will be performing May 28th. It's $5 general admission, and kids under 12 get in free. There will be a ton of food trucks, and there will also be a lot of things for the kiddos to do, including face painting and an inflatable obstacle course. To buy tickets, visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Ted? Michael Jr., our guy, he's back, baby. Yes. Let's go. Good stuff. Always, always a wealth of information. Yeah, he's got a got a new job. So we dive into that and uh, then we try to solve college football's problems. And I'm not sure, I, I'm not sure we got anywhere, but we'll let the people decide after they listen to it. Yeah, we, I think there's no solving of any problems right now. It's it's really just probably creating more. That's that's what we're doing with college football. Yeah, that's okay. Let's let's get right to the OU stuff. And I I will say I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start with this. And I'm going to keep this vague, but there is there is a big announcement coming Thursday for OU football and for OU athletics as a whole. I believe it's supposed to be Thursday. It's it's very exciting. I I believe OU's the first school doing what they are doing. And this is something that I think OU fans are going to really like and that OU athletes are going to really like and their parents are going to really like. So hmm. I know that 
that probably uh, piques your curiosity and a lot of people out there, but you'll know soon, people. You'll know. Hmm. Very vague. Very, very cryptic and vague, Gabe. I, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> Keep okay. your antennas up, right? That's what you're saying. Get the antennas up. Yes. All right. Get the antenna. And it's not an NIL thing or anything like that. This is this is big business, big business, baby. Woo! Love it. All right. Transfer portal deadline has come and gone. And pretty much minimal, minimal guys jumping in the portal from Oklahoma. So I saw I saw two new additions. And maybe you saw something I didn't, Ted, but the the first guy that I saw jump in the portal, and remember, Cody Jackson already jumped in, uh, what was that, about a week ago? And it would have been great to keep him for some wide receiver depth, but now they have a spot to to go get a wide receiver from the portal. But Noah Arenze jumps in. Uh, This is a guy that every time I am – Near him in person, I'm like, man, this guy looks the part. I mean, 6'6", 260, just jacked, and you're just like, dang it. Why, why aren't you better at football? What's happening? But he just he, – he never, he never earned his way on the field, and this kid that's, you know, weight room strong, athletic, but just didn't – didn't translate, right? And, I, you know, maybe it will – when he goes somewhere else, you know, I would love to see him out there making plays for someone else, but it just didn't, didn't come together here at Oklahoma for him. Yeah. And it's tough. You, you never know what, uh, what a move might do may spark something. You, you go somewhere and you get a little bit more time on the field. Uh, you know, not just, I'm not talking about games, but you know, you walk in with a physique that he has and maybe at, at a, a lower level school and you turn into a starter and you start getting the, all of those reps and start building confidence, things can start to click. So just because it's not working out at OU doesn't mean it's a done deal. Right. And I, I will say this about the Arenze situation. Did you see Miguel Chavis's tweet about yeah. him? I, I love that, man. Uh, I mean, I, I think that, you know, because oftentimes when a kid jumps in the portal, when it hadn't worked out, right? You get some blanket, hey, we wish him the best. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were talk, going to talk about, like, the – a lot of times when someone gets in the fan, the portal, the fan base thinks that, oh, this is a problem guy or something, you know? Right. Looking out for himself. Right. right. Like, oh, look at this selfish guy leaving the program, you know? But I love that Chavis came out and, you know, talked about, hey, he's a big guy, the, a big athletic guy, strong guy. He – he was a ton of fun to coach, uh, did everything right off the field. I just, man, I just thought that was cool as hell. And you don't, I mean, maybe, maybe I've just missed it, but you don't see coaches do that very often when a guy jumps in the portal. And I thought that, I thought that that was a great representation of the type of person Miguel Chavis is. It's why I think he is, he is on a fast track to be, a one of the, a big name in college football, but also Venables has talked about, Hey man, this is, this is not transactional. We are here to build relationships with our players and to care about them. 
And I thought that that was just, that was a great example of Chavis putting something out there. It's like, Hey, I care about this kid. It may not have worked out here, but he he's not damaged goods. He's like, he can play. He just, maybe he just needs an opportunity elsewhere. I thought, man, I, that was one of the cooler things I saw all week. Yeah. I think it's big time. And, you know, just because someone's in the transfer portal, that doesn't mean that there wasn't a long conversation with their position coach or coordinator about, Hey, listen, I love playing here. I love everything about it. I love what you guys are building, but what are my realistic What's my real realistic chances to be on the field and, and be a player for us. And, you know, if that conversation is, it's going to be really hard, then like, you can come to that agreement as a group together that, hey, transfer portal could be a really good thing for you individually to do, and I'll support you. And if anyone out there wants a referral or wants a, to know more about you, tell them to give me a call. I, mean, that, I think that is a, a, a high likelihood of what's going on right now at OU with some guys. Yeah, and it, the last thing about the Arenze announcement, a man's got to get a better graphics team. I don't know who put that together. It's I'm not going to pretend like I'm a graphics wizard, but I feel like I feel like we could have made it a little cleaner. I didn't like the font, but I maybe I'm being a little too nitpicky. Maybe maybe that's just me. I well, I don't think you're being too nitpicky, but. Let's hope the graphic doesn't keep him from going to the place that he wants to go, right? Could could you imagine a coach sees that and be like, ah, No. I I know what his coach said, but that graphic is just, I mean, it's sub. Could it be true? Could it really be true what his coach said with the graphic like that? I don't know. The two just do not match up. I never thought people would judge players by the quality of their graphic that they put out to announce they're in the portal. But here I am judging, yep. <laughs> judging that's his it. graphic quality. Oh, that's terrible. All right. Other guy that jumped in the portal, Nathan Rollins. Kabanga Kabanga. I feel like Kabange? I've heard Kabanj, but. I don't when, really know. <laughs> when we did the signing day show, when he signed, we were told it was Nathan Rollins Kabanj. Right. And I'm pretty sure we said it all show, and I'm pretty sure that's not right. <laughs> it doesn't so, seem right. I, but hey, but he he announced he entered the portal and he he was a guy I remember because I remember when we did that signing day show, guy was a basketball player, right? out there from, I believe, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And he had only played like 10 games of high school football. And then there was the COVID year for those guys in 2020. And I remember the previous defensive staff just hoping that they could get the most out of that athleticism, that they, they could coach him up and, and turn him into a, a big-time defensive end because of that athletic foundation he had. And it just just never really came together. Right. And I, I think that it's, I don't think it's some big indictment on NRK, but this, this current staff, they're looking for more polished guys. Maybe that's, maybe that's the best way of putting it. Yeah. There there's always this, the, the basketball route. There's some big athletic, dudes in basketball 
and you know we've seen we've there's some obviously some some cases that have turned into really high level players specifically at the next level and you're always kind of waiting to to hit that that next one out of the park but basketball and football are two different worlds and i know there's there's this thought that well I wasn't able to do it in basketball. That's my first love. Let's see if I can do it in football. That's a different life that you're about to enter into. It, they, the, the way that you prepare for both of them are totally different. I, in basketball, you go hang out and shoot free throws in the gym and, and work on your, your footwork on the low block. And football's different. You're banging heads. You're moving weight in the weight room. It's just – it's a different – it's a different animal, and it not always does that transition go the way that the player expects it to. And I'm not saying that that's the case uh, for for this player specifically. I'm just saying that's one of the things that does happen whenever you go with the athlete that that didn't quite make it in basketball but could possibly turn into a really good football player. And – Let's talk about the other guys that jumped in the portal. Oh, wait. That's it. That's it. So I, maybe I should reach out to Bruce Feldman. Where, where was the, the max exodus of Oklahoma players? Did I miss it? Listen, I know they lost Caleb Williams and Mario Williams and, and Jaden Hazelwood. I get it. But I think it says a hell of a lot about Brent Venables and, and that coaching staff that they brought Jerry Schmidt back. They're being more demanding. They're holding these kids accountable. And you have two guys that never have been on the field for this team. That's it. Two guys that jumped in the portal. Cody Jackson, three guys. I think that's, that's a pretty positive sign that these kids are are buying into and it and it's one thing to hear Venables talk about it, right? Like, hey, these kids are buying in. We've been so impressed with how they're buying in. Well, this is proof of that, right? You know, those are words. This the, these are actions. All these kids, the way that the portal worked, they could have jumped in. They could have entered. And they said, no, we we believe in what Brent Vittables is doing and what this coaching staff is preaching to us. This, no is, this is where we want to be. And I, I think that's a, that's a really positive sign for this program moving forward. Maybe, maybe I'm making too big of a deal out of it, but I was – I mean, three guys, after Schmitty returned, I was told that he was going to run half the damn team off, Ted. Well, we've heard Venables say several times that this team has been exposed to a much higher level of discipline and accountability than they've probably ever had. And you only have three guys leave. And I don't think these three guys are necessarily leaving because they didn't like it. It was too hard or they didn't like the new staff, you know, maybe, maybe they, they feel like there's some other opportunities out there, which is, is going to happen. But I think it's pretty telling whenever 
the mass exodus was pre-Venables, not post-Venables. And I feel like a lot of those guys, had they stuck it out through spring and spring practice, probably wouldn't have ended up transferring, you know? But, you know, they, they made the move before Venables got here and they got a real chance to see what he was all, of, all about. So I think it says quite a bit about the way this new staff is handling things up there. I'm with you. I, I was, I was very encouraged by that low of a number when it comes to guys entering the portal. And as far as, you know, those guys jumping in now, there are a few spots open, right? You'd love to now they don't necessarily have to be filled by guys at the same position, but it would be awfully nice if, Oh, you could add a wide receiver that can add some depth and, and that uh, a guy they'd feel comfortable putting on the field right, right away. Or if they could add a pass rusher that can contribute. I mean, that, that they need one, they need more. So we'll see who those spots end up going to, but uh, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting. I'm sure, I'm sure Venables and that staff, they are, they are studying that portal carefully and diving into some tape some of those guys that are that are in there okay this is big news according to brett mcmurphy cincinnati houston and ucf are negotiating a settlement in the 17 to 20 million dollar range to join the big 12 in 2023 and the settlement could be reached as early as this month so clearly this this affects oklahoma in a big way with byu already coming to the Big 12 next season, that would then set the table for a 14-team Big 12 in 2023. And technically, with how the contract is for OU in Texas, it would set the table for a 14-team Big 12 for 2023 and 2024. This is starting to feel a little more realistic, man, right? Mm -hmm. And I love it. Me too. If if we're going to be in the Big 12, like, if we can't make that jump to the SEC, give me some new blood. I want to see some new games. I want to go to some new places. I want uh, to see some new teams make their way into Norman. I'm all for it. And you, look, I know a lot of people maybe turn their nose up at the teams that the Big 12 added. Um, I think everyone except for – was it uh i think everyone had 10 win season last year didn't they or was byu nine win i i would have to look i can check I'm for pretty you sure quick. uh cincinnati definitely was uh houston definitely was i think houston was like 11 and two and then maybe it was ucf that was nine and three byu and, 10 and three yeah, last year 10 and three i think it maybe is ucf that was that was nine and three but I think all of those teams last year, specifically BYU and Cincinnati, I mean, they probably – Cincinnati definitely finishes at the upper level of the Big 12. I think BYU probably does, and Houston had a hell of a team as well. So, I mean, I know it's not your traditional powers, but those are all really good football programs. Yeah, Cincinnati last year 13-1, and one, Houston 12-2. and two. UCF nine and four. Yeah. Pretty so, good. Yeah. Some, some quality football teams are getting at it. And I, I think that 
if we get it, if maybe we only get it for one year in 2023, right? That will create one of the most entertaining. No, I'll say it'll be the most entertaining conference in college football. It may not have the best players, right? That's the SEC. We, we don't even need to argue about that. But when you talk about the level of competition and it's kind of like a Formula One term, that like in the midfield, like that, that could be incredibly entertaining for all of us to watch. Now, still expect OU to be the top dog. Let's, let's not get it twisted. But those two years, like a trip to Provo, sign me up. I heard that stadium's beautiful, just set in the mountains. That's what everyone says. I want to go. So I don't want to go to Houston. Don't care about going to Houston. No. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Cincinnati's field. And I, I, that's, we did that. We did it in a non conference game when I was playing. We went and played Cincinnati in the Bengals stadium. I wouldn't mind a trip to Florida in November. I don't want a trip to Florida in September. Agreed. All right, me on the sideline on the radio call in September in Florida would be a bad combination. 2.30 kick. But, and I understand that some some OU fans see this and they go, no, 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 let's get to the SEC. But, and this is something we've talked about, but hear me out. Brent Venables and this staff having a few years to develop the roster to continue to implement the culture, to get more of their guys into the program, to improve facilities, and to continue to develop new programs that that have positive impacts and give the players more resources. Them having a few more years to do that before they go to the SEC is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You want to be, you want to have this thing. Remember, it's, he hasn't even coached a game yet. I know we're all excited and fired up, and it feels like things are building in a great direction. And Brent Vittables is not scared of the SEC, but getting a few years under his belt, getting more comfortable as a head coach, getting that culture fully established, it would put OU in a better position going to the SEC in 2025 it just would i know some people say well you get there and then you start using it as recruiting i'm just saying they're going to recruit at a high level the staff can recruit i think we've all realized that quickly so maybe let's get this thing to the highest level we can in the big 12 and then and then make that transition once again if it's earlier than that not scared not scared at all but it is it's about what's best for the program making that transition and a 14 team big 12 for a year or even two. I, I think that'd be good for OU. I know some people may not want to hear that though. Yeah. Hey, I got no, I got no problem waiting. Um, in a perfect world, if we were, uh, absolutely ready right now. Yeah. I would want to go start playing in the, the sec, but I don't think we are ready. I think we do okay in the SEC, but why not? Why not be in your peak, you know, window whenever you finally make that leap? And I'll tell you what, if it does take 
until the 2025 season. I'll tell you what, I don't know. I've got high expectations for the team this year. But next year, look out, right? If, if you're the Big 12, you'll have, everyone will agree, a much more manageable schedule to make it to a college football playoff. And if, if you have the right guys and you've got a team that is where you want them to be, who knows what could happen? Way, it, it's way easier right now to win a national championship schedule-wise coming out of the Big 12 than it is coming out of the SEC. So, it, Especially with no expanded playoff. That's right. Exactly. Right? Think about it. Right now, OU, you only got to win. You, you get to the playoff, you got to win two, right? That thing expands, yep. it becomes more difficult. You got to go through more people. Like So I, I know some people may think, oh, no, no, no. Let's get, his, get there as soon as possible. But this had to be fired up, man. It, it, it has a lot to do with me hosting a show on Big 12 Radio where I'm just like, oh, my gosh, two years of a 14-team Big 12. Let's go. Like I talked to Kalani Sataki earlier this week. And I mean, the, the people at BYU are so fired up I bet. about it. So I, they started wiping that schedule. You know, they've, it's not like whenever you're leaving a conference and all of your games can just be, you know, naturally changed. Like they've got, they've got all one-off games that it's like, Hey, listen about that, about that game that we've got coming up the next couple of years. Sorry gonna have to reschedule yeah so uh, there there is a bit of a domino effect with this though and i think it's gonna happen right brett mcmurphy you know friend of the pod right we've had him on when he puts something out there it it usually happens like his hit rate is real solid so that would that would kind of trigger a domino effect where six conference usa schools would then move to the american to kind of fill and remember Conference, man, poor Conference USA. They got people leaving for the Sun Belt. Now they got people leaving for the American. It's it's rough times there in Conference USA. But I I know people saw this, kind of a mixed reaction, but I think it's a good thing for Oklahoma. I really do. Yeah, I do too. And you're right. Uh, Conference USA, I feel uh, it's about to vanish like a fart in the wind. And I, I'm just interested to see what happens with – you know, whenever some of that buyout stuff starts happening and things start moving, like what happens with, does everyone else become way more, um, I guess, willing to work to get everything set, to get the conferences set? And maybe does that buyout for Oklahoma and Texas start to change a little bit? I, it's, it's definitely a possibility, right? I mean, but I feel like the administration in conjunction with the football staff, like they're willing to be patient about it, right? right? Because, you know, cutting a 75 or a hundred million dollar check, that's, that's money they can use for new facilities, for implementation of new programs, you know, uh, all kinds of things. So I, I don't think, 
I don't think our alma mater's in a hurry, per se. No, no, and I, 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 it's it's a welcome to me to have some more teams join the Big Twelve and get some new blood. I think that that makes hanging around a couple more years palatable. I'm with you. That's a great way of putting it. All right, let's hear from the listeners, man. Uh, call your shot. Uh, we asked you guys on the thoughts of OU playing in a 14-team Big 12 in 2023. This first one comes from Carter J 1982 on Twitter, who says, hate it. Get us out of this conference. The Big 12 as an institution is going to do everything they can to screw us on the way out the door. See Thursday night game in Ames. We need to get to the SEC pronto. I understand I understand the the line of thinking. I absolutely do. Um, and trust me, I, as a fan, I cannot wait to join the SEC and be a part of, you know, going on the road, welcoming those fan bases into into Norman. I think it's going to be awesome. And I think the high higher level of play is going to be bring the best out of Oklahoma. I think we thrive in those type of, of situations and I, I, I totally get it. And I think that's going to be the common response from fans, but I still believe your best chance to win a championship may be coming out of the big 12 in the next couple of years. No, that's, that's fair. I, I will say this to Carter J. He mentions the Thursday night game in Ames this year. I'm not sure he realizes that's after a bye week. After and, a bye week and before Kansas, right? Yeah. No, we got no Kansas. We oh, you plays Kansas, then bye week, then Thursday night names. Gotcha. And then you So dealt, not not exactly a murderer's row that the Big 12 has dealt the Sooners. Right. And you know what helps is I'm trying to who do we play after that? Because you're gonna get extra days after it too. So it's really it's Baylor really so thanks big 12 right it's actually really beneficial because you get extra prep time after a Thursday night you gain several days there of of extra prep time and recovery if you got any nicks and and guys banged up a little bit yeah so our man Carter J's hearing that gun huh interesting all right this other one comes from at Chris Rich 316 on Twitter who says I like it from a competition standpoint. I'd put Cincinnati on the same tier as Oklahoma State and then UCF and Houston with the TCU, K-State, and Iowa State tier. Competitive and would draw some interest. Plus, could open recruiting doors in the area. Maybe a small door, but talent is in those areas. The recruiting aspect of things, that's interesting. That's That's really something I hadn't thought that much about, like, Maybe you have a game down in Orlando and you get in front of more kids in the state of Florida. Uh, you well, have a you're going to be at- down there. Like that's, that's going to be more of your stomping grounds when you go to the sec. Yeah. Now Houston, OU already recruits the hell out of Houston. And then Cincinnati, like Ohio is it's fertile recruiting ground. So maybe if you got to take a road trip there, which if you get two seasons of this, most likely you do. It wouldn't be bad to get in front of some of those big time prospects in Ohio. And I think the other thing is locally, 
it's always it's always good for the local economy when we have a bunch of out of state fans from another fan base come in. And if we're only in this situation for two years, right, those fan bases are going to want to come to Norman. But like we, our fan bases are going to want to go to those places to play a conference game, and those places are really going to want to come to watch a conference game in Norman. So think you'll get that aspect of it too. I, I I imagine BYU traveling a huge group of people. Yeah. All right. Let's get the shout outs. The first one, it, it's a good one. It's a big one. Congratulations to Julie Watson on retirement after 28 years with OU. She had to put up with so much, Ted. I, it was, I was, I was sad and happy at the same time that Julie is Julie's moving on. Yeah. I'm happy for her. One of the very first people that I met whenever I I came to OU, um, I came up as as a recruit over the summer one time, and she was up there in the offices with the coaches. Uh, known Julie for a long time; she's been fantastic up there, and I'm happy to see her uh, being able to move on. And think she's going to continue doing stuff with Coach Stoops for his foundation. So awesome stuff for Julie. Yeah, and way better than her husband, Chris. <laughs> way better. All right, happy fifth birthday to Lawrence Bolt. Happy 11th birthday to Dax Reed. Happy 66th birthday to Randy the Dogfather Hilliard. Wow. Happy 85th birthday to Catherine Irene. Happy birthday to Matthew G. McDonald Esquire. Wow. And congratulations to Rick Prevost on his retirement. Pretty simple. Good. Some, some names in these shout out, man. Love it. All right. Let's get to our man, Mike Golick Jr. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. Oh, that one felt good. Yeah, your voice is warmed up. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting over the allergies a little bit. We're rolling now, baby. <laughs> that coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone, so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. Gabe's showing you the red Oklahoma Breakdown hat there on the Opolis website. It's That's new. O-P-O-L- They're going quick. Isclothing.com. So make sure you get there quick and use our promo code TED, T E D, for 10% off your entire order. Still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. It's opolisclothing.com. Use our promo code TED uh, and get there quick before the hat sells out. 10% off with our promo code Buttery Soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. 
With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right, here's Mike Golick Jr. It is our pleasure to be joined by the host of the Gojo podcast presented by DraftKings. He's making big career moves, people. Mike Golick Jr. is in the house, one of our favorites. Man, what's going on? Fellas, fellas, I appreciate the warm welcome here, and I appreciate being asked back now that I have left the mothership here. It's good to know that the bonds of friendship here transcend any sort of platform. I I think you may be back more often yeah. after <laughs> leaving the mothership. Yeah, let's get to that. I, I, I certainly want to talk to you about how we all can solve what is ailing college football right now. But as far as your career, right, how – how tough was it to leave ESPN? Because when you look at what you're doing, man, radio, calling games, like always doing something, doing the live stream shows, doing college football lives, like you had so much going on. What, what went into the decision to leave ESPN? Yeah, it, it was tough, man. And I, I always, especially when I was talking to you know, my folks about this, when I was talking to friends of mine, coworkers of mine, my whole thing I kept coming back to was is, all right, like in a moment of honest self-reflection here, I am not Dan Lebitard leaving ESPN or my dad or Ryan Rosillo, where you would have these people who had been there for a decade plus and had built themselves up so much. I had been fortunate to do pretty well in the six and a half years that I was there and feel like things were going in a good direction, but it was still early. It's still early enough in my life cycle in this where it was a risk, but it, for me, it was about what you mentioned kind of... Um, one was a great opportunity, like DraftKings coming along at this time, seeing what they were doing with the guys at the Levitard show, my dad, Jared Carabas, where they were serious about this. They were serious about getting together a lineup of people to talk about sports for it to not just be gambling conversation and for it to kind of take that next step into this business. And then it was also saying, all right this could also be a good opportunity for me to get a little more balance in life here. It's, you know, a 60 to 90 minute pod versus a four hour radio show. I'm still going to be involved in college football this fall. That's going to be something that I get to announce coming up here where that's still going to be a part of what I do. And I'm excited about, but you, you, you can, you can break that news on here if you want. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I'm a, that's fine. I'm going to come back when I can and I'll break the news on here. We'll do, we'll do it like that. But uh, no, just, it, you know, I, I think, for me, I'm also 32, single, no kids, so I have a good opportunity to take a calculated risk if I want to right now to explore this path and to really give it my all so that I can continue to build towards a point where, you know, all right, maybe someday when a family, when all that stuff pops up, I'm ready to absorb it. Is it, what was the grind doing so much and being able to channel a little bit more of that into maybe a little more concise uh, format is, has, is that something that's been great? Or do you like like the big open spending a lot of time doing stuff? You know what? I think both has, both have their merits. I mean, especially with our backgrounds, like there's no, we all know there's no substitute for reps and especially God, 
you know, for the first, you know, I really, I mean, this entire beginning portion of my career, getting to do all those things and getting to work that much invaluable has made me, I felt like I've gotten so much better through all that. So I wouldn't trade it for the world. At the same time, the cool part about this is you're right. It is more concentrated, but it also does have a little bit more freedom of movement. So each day we can create something new if we want. There's room for if I have an idea to come to my producer, to come to the people at DraftKings and say, hey, how can we go about trying to execute this? And so I think for me creatively also, because we get used to structure of a radio show, structure of calling a football game, this is something that I haven't really done day to day. And so it's exciting to get to think creatively about something in a different way. How how weird is it or maybe how awkward is it now that you have to book your own guests man everyone told me but at the same time it feels like no one told me like <laughs> i already can feel myself doing the and while i grew up on the east coast i think going to school at notre dame gives me a very midwestern tinge and so i always find myself doing the midwestern thing after i ask people of if not totally fine where you just soften the blow immediately <laughs> i cannot help it it just leaks out of me so much Oh, has it been more difficult? I, I, I know that's a, that's kind of a, it's a weird deal to do that, but is it easier, tougher to get the guests that you want? Um, I think so far we have set the right bar for ourselves, which is especially early on my whole thought process with this, as we figure it out was less is more simplify and let's get good at the things we need to get good at to start with before we start to build the rest of this house. You know, I, I've said the metaphor. I don't know how many times I said it on the podcast we released today. We're kind of building the plane while we fly it. And so we need to keep the most important parts running. And so, you know, we've been fortunate also, you know, myself, Brandon Newman, who's my producer and co-host on there, been doing this long enough to forge some of these relationships with people in the media, you know, getting athletes, making sure we're on the right list so that, you know, when someone's got a book coming out or someone's promoting a charity that we have the contact info to get in touch, that stuff will all come and those bigger name guests will come. But in the meantime, it's a great opportunity to reconnect and talk with people that we consider friends who also just have to cover, happen to cover this stuff and potentially play this stuff at a really high level. Now, I don't know how much of this you can kind of divulge, but did, did DraftKings like recruit you? Like how did, what was it? One of the things where you reached out to them and, and if you can't answer it, uh, I mean, no, I, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of was a little bit of both because so at that point I had already obviously been aware of them through what had gone on with the Levitar guys and knowing Stu Gotts really well. And a lot of that crew and then when my dad started doing stuff with them also, because his time with them predates my time. So I had already known, all right, this is kind of how he came to that. These are some of the people, me and my dad have the same agent. And so those conversations, once my contract with ESPN was coming up towards the end, just started happening organically. You know, they've, they've got great leadership over there. Stacy McCollum, who's the vice president of uh, executive vice president of content for DraftKings was someone who was at ESPN in a variety of roles, the AC, uh, ACC, SEC network, Longhorn network, ESPN. And so 
all that familiarity uh, on both sides kind of just led to it being a natural conversation. And, and they came with a very compelling offer and opportunity. And that was sort of the rest is history. You know, the podcasting stuff, it's not new. It's obviously been around for a while now. And I, I don't know if, if you can say it's growing in popularity or if it's already kind of where everyone knows about it and everything. But you know, I saw something interesting yesterday. The Jimmy High Roller guy on YouTube, I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he gets like, you know, millions of views on his like 10, 15 minute videos that he puts out on the NBA and it, it, it surpasses what ESPN gets view wise. It, is this, is this where we're headed? I mean, I know there's always going to be a place for, for like the network stuff and the, and the, you know, big radio and, ESPN on television, but my goodness, I feel like more and more people, and we've been saying this for a long time, but I, it, it, I think we've hit the, the critical mass point where more people are getting their information that way rather than the, the traditional methods. Yeah, it, it's sort of the Bo Burnham line. Like we have a little bit of everything all of the time right now in, in the way that we consume most everything. And so I, I think that's sort of the beauty of right now. And you're seeing it reflected not only in what you just described here, where you can go and find a podcast where your favorite person or a group of your favorite people are talking about the thing you like. Cause that's really all this is like, I, I said, podcasting is sort of the next level of intimacy up from radio because radio is sort of like what it was watching cable TV, where if I really like a show or a movie and I'm flipping through channels, Oh, I find it. It's great. It's right there. It's in the TV guide. It's super easy for me. This is now kind of like Netflix where I've got to go and make an active choice on this service. It might populate on the main page. It might show up on a chart somewhere and bring me to it. But by and large, I'm hearing about it from somebody else. I know about it because I read about it somewhere. And then I have to go and seek that out. And so there's a level of intimacy that with that that comes now because people are such savvy listeners, because especially sports fans really know what they want and want more specific content at times tailored to them. So I think that's a big part of it. But obviously, you know, the brick and mortar networks have so much trust built up over time, right? Like a lot of times people don't even think at this point, if something breaks, your tendency would be to go to Woj, to go to ESPN, to go to what Adam Schefter had, like, especially when it comes to news and live events, I think those are always going to be places where those places still really matter a lot. And we're seeing as the media landscape changes, live events are still the lifeblood of all this. The NFL is still like 97 of the top 100 games that we see every year. College football is a juggernaut. And so you're seeing kind of that focus on getting rights, making sure you cover the hell out of those events, and sometimes with different kinds of broadcasts wrapped around them. And then for the rest of it, the content, maybe some of that does become more a la carte the way it is with podcasting. All right, before we talk some sports, let's hear it. Let's hear the, the elevator speech for the podcast. Where can people find it? What's, what's going on? Give, give us the pitch, man. Yeah, so the podcast, as you guys were so kind to intro, is Gojo. It's myself. I mentioned his name, Brandon Newman. I, I know if people have heard me give this boilerplate speech before, I apologize. But Brandon Newman, in addition to being my co-host 
And my producer is one of my really great friends. He was a teammate of mine at Notre Dame. We were uh, offensive and defensive linemen going against each other in practice every day. He was also in the same major. We wanted to get into this business. And so we laid the foundation together. We were able to go off and do our own thing. He worked at FS1, Barstool, NBC, was a page at the Letterman Show. So has lived a lot of lives. And then we're able to come together for this. And the simplest way I put it to people is we think like we talked about, we got a lot of really cool, interesting friends that play sports, cover sports are around this world that have a lot of really great information. And we just want to introduce more people to them. We want to create a place that's, you know, what I always strive for when I was doing radio calling games, like let's relax it. We don't have to take it that serious. It is sports as much as we all love it. And as much as we all care about it and, and, just kind of figure out what it is along the way. I, I said, the only promise I'm comfortable making is we're going to try really hard to make something worth your time and worth your listen. And anything beyond that would probably be too much at this point. Well, a um, couple of Notre Dame guys. Let's, let's talk about the Notre Dame news. I guess it's not news anymore, but Brian Kelly uh, goes to LSU. How shocking of a move was that? Maybe not shocking that he, he left, but LSU is kind of, it doesn't like that does not seem like the fit for him at all no I think that was the shocking part because honestly if you had asked Notre Dame people if they thought Brian Kelly would ever leave most of them would have probably thought it would have been to USC that always seemed to be the one that was floated out there and certainly you know just personality type wise might you know be a better quote-unquote fit because yeah we all saw the family thing and, and and we don't normally think of Brian Kelly of the bayou so I don't think it, it was shock because we had always known this could potentially happen. And when I just looked at it objectively, when I took off the former player cap, the fan cap, I said, all right, this guy accomplished everything you could short of winning a national title at Notre Dame. And the way he was doing things there, he had set it up one double digit games, five years in a row. He had been doing things really well, but with the formula he had, there had been a difficulty getting over that hump and getting to the national championship. And so if you were Brian and you looked at LSU and that offer that came in and said, all right, they're going to upgrade my money. We know what the facilities look like down there. And the last three head coaches that have been there have won national championships. He's got to feel pretty good about his chances. And so logically I could understand where he comes from and how he gets to that decision. So uh, I feel like there's some similarities with what's happened at OU and with what's happened at Notre Dame, right? You know, Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly move on to what they view as better opportunities. And it seems like a lot of people really love the new head coach, right? So is what, what is, what is your experience with Marcus Freeman been like as a former player? What are you kind of hearing from the people? And I know Tommy Reese is one of your best friends right that still on staff there is the offensive coordinator so like what what are you hearing about Marcus Freeman since he's he's taken over as head coach the best thing is when the words match the actions right and so far from what I've heard from everybody and what I've gotten to see myself what you see is what you get and this is ultimately going to be judged and it's going to be the same at Oklahoma by wins and losses, right? Because as much as fan bases might've had hurt feelings, not felt great about how things went, not felt great about, you know, what's transpired after some quotes that have come out from people involved in this. Ultimately there was a lot of success under those coaches that had been there. 
And if there's not that same level of success with these new coaches there, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow for everyone. But all we can do is go off of what's going on now. And I'll tell you this, uh, two weekends ago, I was back in South Bend. Notre Dame football had what they call the football legacy weekend. They brought back in alumni from the past 40 years of Notre Dame football. I mean, going back to guys from the championship teams in the 70s, and I think even a couple of guys from the 60s might have been in there. It was 300 former players that were back on campus. And this isn't a Brian Kelly thing. This is the first time in my lifetime I have seen or heard of something like this going on back in South Bend. Something of this magnitude where the program wrapped an arm around former players and said, hey, come back in. This program is yours. This current team is yours. We want to make sure we put our former players in front of these current teams. There was networking events with the current team members where they got to meet and talk to not just alumni that were in the NFL, but alumni that are doing great things in all facets of life. Got to go to practice, got to visit with the coaching staff, got to be on the field before the spring game. All these things that, listen, in the grand scheme are small things, but you guys know this, to feel like the door is open for you and to feel like this staff cares enough about you to want to include you in a big-time recruiting weekend in the spring game and to have you around the players that are hopefully going to be a part of this program, I think that was a pretty powerful opening stanza or one of many opening stanzas from Marcus Freeman where we can at least say, all right, you know what? He's doing everything that he possibly can right now. We'll see what the games look like. I want to encourage everyone to exercise patience, but it's setting the table between the energy given to recruiting and the energy given to making sure that everyone still feels welcome in this program, despite a new face being at the helm is pretty powerful. That's really similar to, to what was going on at Oklahoma at the spring game. And I wonder if the same thing. So, one of the reasons, at least I theorize, one of the reasons uh, Lincoln Riley left is, you know, with the transition to the SEC, Oklahoma was really going to have to step up their game on, you know, the resources given to the coaching staff and the football program. And Lincoln was having a really hard time securing those, and he leaves. Well, the reality hits the administration that, oh, my God, to get the person we want, those demands are going to have to be met. And so far they have been, uh, there's, there's been a big change in some of the stuff that, that has gone up, gone on up there as far as resources, adding coaches, um, just uh, uh, pretty much everything involved facilities wise, a, a lot of it. Have you seen the same thing? Cause I feel like Notre Dame and Oklahoma both have great traditions. There's a lot of good things going for them, but they also have some built in roadblocks that some of the other programs out there don't have. have. Have you seen some of those walls maybe starting to fall down with the, with the new coach? Yeah. I, and I think that's always going to be a process, right? Because some of the stuff with facilities, those are longer term answers where, all right, you know, you're talking about the funding for new buildings that are going to pop up and having to find the place and spaces to do all that. And things that I believe will eventually happen. Those aren't things that I know, but just understanding that place, you know, Notre Dame just built a new indoor not too long ago. They're not averse to adding things like that. But I, I think, you know, hearing that criticism coming from Brian back at the university, it's impossible to ignore. And it also comes at a really interesting time because, you're weighing on one hand, all right, we understand that is a part of the arms race, making sure the coaching staff has a you know big enough salary pool for assistance and you know whatever else. I mean, God, we see all over, especially proliferating the SEC, you know, 
having all the other coaches on staff who aren't coaches and all those different roles. And it's become that on one side while also now having to figure out where that fits in the new landscape of recruiting with things like NIL coming into play with the transfer portal being as active as it is and how you go about trying to manage all of that. And so, yeah, I think there's been a response, but I think it's also right now for, for Notre Dame and for the football program at this moment for Marcus Freeman, so much of this is about, person-to-person interaction. Marcus Freeman as the head coach has been so actively involved in recruiting every player that's coming to campus now. You hear all about it. Talk to anyone in the building, and they're like, this guy's always recruiting. He's always on the phone with someone. He's always just talked to some kid, and it's a level of energy I find admirable. I know the guy's 35, but hell, I'm 32, and I'm tired just hearing about how much he's doing. So I I I can really appreciate the tempo he's set, and I think Right now, I think the rest of that stuff will come because, again, this isn't a place that's afraid to spend money. It's just that there's so much happening right now. And I think, again, kind of like I talked about in my own life, simplifying and saying, all right, what can we control most right now? That's making sure every kid that's getting recruited there feels the love from the head guy. Mike, what did you you think about Venables to OU when you saw that? I I was – pretty pretty excited in a lot of ways so obviously Brent Venables is one of those names as an assistant no one ever thought was going to leave Clemson right people have been knocking on his door for years but obviously this place carried a different place in his heart it certainly felt like the right time in a number of ways and 30,000 foot looking at this I was pumped because man it just continues to kind of signify the shift of the big 12 full-time into a defensive league like People have been operating on dated software with that for a while and maybe not paying attention to, you know, the Baylors, the West Virginias, all these teams that had come in and, you know, even starting with Iowa State where the modern spread killing defenses of college football had come from the Big 12. Hell, some of it's made its way to the NFL through teams like the Panthers and others who have taken that. But, you know, Brent Venables, who maybe the, the premier defensive coordinator in the country, coming over to a place in Oklahoma that had been so defined by offense for a while, said, all right, well, you're going to get a guy that cares immensely about this school. You're going to get a guy who is as fiery and intense a competitor as there is in the sport. And then I always think it's interesting because this is what you guys had in Lincoln. You've got a bona fide weapon if he chooses to be involved in the defensive play calling or just his influence in the room week to week. He's a legitimate game changer as a defensive mind. You get some coaches that are more of the CEO, the 30,000 foot view, and then you get some that have such a specialty like that. And for him to see the job that he did year after year in creating a decided schematic advantage for Clemson, that's got to be exciting to know it's coming to Norman now. All right. How about the how about the transfer portal stuff? How about the, the NIL? <laughs> Let, let's solve problems, boys. <laughs> time college football stuff going on here. Um, we saw it. Everyone kind of dipped the toe last summer, and we saw some things. It was like, okay, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. And boy, did it start building towards the end of the year. We had the Caleb Williams stuff going on with Oklahoma. Uh, you know. Uh, it just we know all of those different scenarios and it feels like it hit the boiling point with the Jordan Addison situation at Pitt whenever he goes into the transfer portal and was there tampering who knows maybe someone will get to the bottom of it but what do you think a lot of people feel like this is the ruination of college football and I'm just amazed that like 
a wide receiver deciding that he wants to leave Pitt to go to USC is where we decide the sky is falling. Like that's <laughs> such a far-fetched concept. That's like, that's the craziest thing. I, it just, it was funny to me, but you know, I, I know it's emblematic of a lot more. I don't know. I, I want to ask you guys this because I always see people talking about this. And you mentioned mentioning the ruination of college football with people saying, we've got to fix this. This is a problem. How do we know yet? Like, what happened last year that signified that there was a problem? Alabama and Georgia were the really good teams again. Michigan managed to make the college football playoff in a group of five team for the first time. Those didn't look like problems last year. Now, this might be extra work and certainly headaches for head coaches who have never had to deal with this before as directly as they are now staffers on the team, trying to figure out what they can and can't do even players having to manage all of this responsibility. But I look for us as people that cover it and fans of the sport and say, all right, outside of maybe your team in the case of pit like this getting worse because you might lose a potentially great player in that, which I get sucks. I- I'm still waiting for someone to show me what about this right now has shown these massive foundation cracks that will ruin college football. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that, I think it just makes people uncomfortable. Yes. And I, I really do. When you, when you look at Jordan Addison, like Pitt's losing their star player to wherever, most likely USC, right? I think it's going to take people a while to, to adjust to college athletes looking out for themselves instead of for the university and the team. And there's going to be an adjustment period. Cause when you look at Jordan Addison's situation, right? Lose your QB, lose your OC, lose your wide receivers coach. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. He would want to hop in the portal, especially if Keaton Slovis didn't look good in spring. And this is a guy that he's got one year to try to ensure that he's the number one wide receiver off the board in the 2023 draft. I, I really, I know people have a big problem with the tampering part of it, but I've started to think Jordan Addison was doing this, whether he was getting tampered with or not, like he's looking out for number one. And I really think the dollar figures that get floated out. That's what, that's what causes the strong reaction. Like, when you see $3 million, there are a lot of people that are going, what? It's ridiculous. And I, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't think this is going to be the downfall of college football if we, if we keep the same, the, the same structure in place with NIL and the portal. Like, I don't. I think it's just going to take, take time to adjust to it. I mean, things take time, and this is – I don't know, Ted, this just isn't how it's been. And people, people get used to it. Like they're still going to watch college football. There's a lot of people. Oh, I'm done. No, you're not. Stop lying. Well, I disagree to, to a certain extent. And I'll tell you why. First of all, I have no problem with the transfer portal. I have no problem with the NIL. I have a problem with the transfer portal and the NIL together. And here's the reason. So, and we haven't seen it yet. So I guess this is, this is still a theory of mine. 
But I look at Cincinnati, who made the college football playoff. Great football team, okay? What, they have nine players drafted? Nine players. Yep. If Cincinnati doesn't make the playoff, I don't think that – I mean, they still get players drafted. I'm not going to say that they don't get players drafted, but good things happen to players on good teams, okay? And we know that Cincinnati, we know that Pitt – we know that these teams, they're not going to be able to afford these massive NIL deals that we see. They're, they're just not going to be able to have that. Maybe for, for I don't know, one or two guys, it's just going to be difficult for them to compete. If the current structure, if it stays the same, there's going to be bigger and bigger and bigger deals to compete for these players. If, if Jordan Addison leaves Pitt, as I think he's going to, Pitt's not going to be nearly as good of a football team and whenever you're not nearly as good of a football team you have less guys up for awards less guys make all conference less guys get drafted so I think as we look at it right now it's like hey this is great these guys in college football are finally getting a piece of the pie but it's a small handful and they're going to be the really good players I think are going to be plucked from the mid-tier teams and that is going to hurt the rest of the guys on their team. Just a theory of mine, but that's why like, if, you just have, if you just have NIL and the transfer portal is there, but there's a, there's a year where you have to sit out or, or what, whatever they decide on, I think, I think it's way less likely. And you can reward some of those guys for staying. Are they going to get the huge money? No, but you still have NIL where, where you, can, you can share a piece of the pie. Um, if, you, if, if you eliminate the NIL and you have the transfer portal, I'm fine with that because I don't feel like you're you, – I think guys are leaving just on the thought that this can, this can help my potential. And it's not – they're not being enticed by a bunch of money to leave their – you know, the teammates that they've, they've kind of come in with and grown up with. Just a theory of mine, but I, I think that there's a, a chance that that could – because you're not going to see as many guys leaving the top-tier programs. It happens, but I think the big pluck in the stars is going to come from, from the places like Pitt, and that's going to really decimate those teams. Yeah, I, I'd say this at the same time, though. I, I think, one, historically, we've always kind of seen some version of this happen, right? Like, I remember years ago – you know, Oregon plucked one of the best FCS quarterbacks from his team and all this argument got made. No one really gave a damn. Like we only give a damn up to a certain point and because this is new and we kind of know some of these teams names. And two, I think your last point, if we go back and sort of reverse this thing and say, if NIL wasn't in the equation and you just had the one-time transfer, Jordan Addison's probably still in the portal. And Jordan Addison's probably still doing this. And if we were comfortable with him making that decision, then we should be comfortable with it also involving him being able to make a bunch of money because I really don't think it's his responsibility to get anyone else drafted on that team. It's not. No one else is going to be doing it. And conversely, if he goes out and breaks his leg, or as we saw, I mean, look at the NFL example of this. Look what Baker Mayfield did last year. Anyone lining up to help Baker Mayfield now because he went out there and gave it all for the team? No. Well, he's Nobody, getting 18 million guaranteed dollars. He, he he is, and that's great. But you know what he's not getting? That second contract that all those guys work for because he wanted to be the team guy and go out there and play hurt. And at the end of the day, no one cares what you do to get there. They do what you care what you do when you get on the field. 
And so in my mind, I cannot fault these guys for going and making sure they're taking care of themselves and their families first because everyone's situation is different. You might get some guys like me that didn't have to worry about their family and where they came from. Guys got all different lifestyles there. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I still look at this and say, if we're going to impose any structure, it's got to be about keeping kids safe from bad contracts and things like that. But I, I think what they've talked about potentially regulating you know, the transfer windows to a couple times a year. So we know, hey, this is when we got to deal with this stuff. Coaches don't have to be doing the recruiting all year round. Totally get all that. We see that in pro sports all the time. Um, but, you know, I, I think for the rest of it, again, I just look at it and say, Jordan Addison's coaches didn't have to sit a year anywhere. They didn't have to fork over any dough. They left for not better positions. They left for the same jobs. Same offensive coordinator, wide receiver coach, same jobs at opportunities they thought were better. And we didn't do anything to inhibit their progress. I, I, I think that the Justin Ross example mm. is, is something that people really need to think about, right? If someone is, is mad that Jordan Addison, who is arguably the best wide receiver in college football, has has entered the portal to try to maximize the amount of money he can make in his last college season. Just look at Justin Ross. The guy, the guy would have been a first round draft pick after his freshman year. He do dominated the college football playoff, just torched Bama in 2018. And he just signed an undrafted free agent deal with the Chiefs. Right? I mean, because uh, of the, you know, the spinal issue, the foot, like missing an entire year. It's, I, I'm kind of with you, Golik, where it's like, I mean, if these guys can make their money, make as much money as you can in this small window that you have to capitalize on your athleticism. And I would love for the tampering aspect of things to be reined in somehow. I just don't. It's impossible. I, yeah. And, and that's what you look at. You look at the article that Ross Dellinger just put out from SI, right? Where he says, Hey, and he used task force. I love when there's a task force. and <laughs> That's when, you know, but there, there are new NIL guidelines coming right soon. And basically the NCAA is going to say, going to tell schools that if they don't control their boosters and the associated collectives they formed, if those boosters and collectives continue to induce high school recruits or, or recruit players to jump into the portal to come to their school, then if the boosters keep doing that, then the school they are linked with, even though it's not in an official capacity, right? Like the school that they are helping to steer kids toward is going to get sanctioned. But how, and but how do you do that? Because I, they have, that's what no, I'm saying. Like, Ted, no I don't know. That'd be like if the NCAA knocked on my door and asked to see my tax returns, uh, you know, like what, that, what? No, yeah, like, no, no who's going to give them any information. They have no subpoena power. They don't have, they don't have anything is if the school is involved. Okay. Because the school signed up with the NCAA, there's there's certain things that they have to they have to turn over if NCAA shows up. But these outside entities, they don't have to give the NCAA anything. And, and that's what I'm saying, right? The NCAA 
effectively is trying to tell schools to tell their boosters what they can and can't do with their money after these this last year and a half where they've been pretty much able to do whatever they want with their money. It's uh, Golik, it's just the system is what it is right now. They started they started it out with very little regulation and I feel like trying to restrict it, trying to rein it in is it's just going to lead lead to a bunch of lawsuits, man. Like I, well, so I'll, I'll say this, like because you're right. I think the NCAA is ultimately toothless on this. Like the, the Supreme Court kneecapped them. They are done. They're they're a dead man walking. And so you guys are exactly right. Especially like I, this is like if my boss wanted to back in the day tell me, hey, can you ask your mom to not tweet this? Like you really think <laughs> I'm going to be able to stop her? from doing that you really think that these schools are going to be able to stop the people that build their buildings from doing this like some of the donors involved in this are like people that like you know would be akin to like the board of trustees at notre dame where these are the people that have been pulling the puppet strings for a while at some of these schools phil knight at oregon yes i, I what what are you going to do ncaa to phil knight good luck with that Good luck with that. And so well, they're they're gonna they're gonna no longer let Nike sponsor jerseys. Then yeah. That, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, okay. No, it's 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 laughable, but I, I think any hint of regulation to me would only and you mentioned that Ross Dellinger article. I thought one of the interesting things in there was some of the states already changing their laws so that contact is not no longer illegal between the school and these collectives. So now they can start to wrap their arms because some of these places you heard are bringing in people that were former CEOs. They're legitimizing this. They're not selling this on the corner anymore. This is, this is legalized marijuana. You walk into a dispensary and it looks like an Apple store. Like that's what these operations are going to start to resemble. And if the NCAA really wants to come in and flex too hard, what's going to happen is the thing that we've talked about for years now is sort of this like whispered little thing. The Super League's going to happen. 45 to 50 college football teams are going to break away and say, we haven't needed you. We've been ungovernable for a while. College football's fun little secret is no one's really in charge of anything. Maybe television rights holders have some sort of help on that. But if they push too hard, they're just going to look and say, we can probably just do this ourselves and make a bunch more money and not having to worry about you meddling with this because I'm sure the schools enjoy this format a lot. Because while the control may be a bit of an unnerving thing, they don't got to foot the bill yet. Like the yep. schools are getting away with this being borderline pay for play without them having to involve themselves or their bottom line in any meaningful way. And I think that day could still be coming, but it is definitely, if they can get a handle on it and have some influence, probably in the school's best interest to have a working relationship with these people and their deep, basically crowdfunded public pockets instead of them having to come up off their own athletic budget for this. It's crazy. You know, the NCAA's had, it's like this dictator where all of a sudden the people say, well, we don't have to listen to you if, if no one, if we all don't listen at the same time. And I think a lot of it has just kind of, there's a lot of things that have happened that have really emboldened that. And I think Kansas going to win in a national championship is one of them. With that whole FBI investigation, that whole thing that went down, Kansas just said, no, no, 
no, we're just going to keep doing what we do. We're just going to have our coach continue to coach. And you see what Oklahoma State did. They, you know, they, they did everything the NCAA asked. They right there catered to them, bowed down, and they get hit with a, a postseason ban. And, and Kansas just turns their nose up and just keeps, keeps doing what they do. And I don't know. I, I do feel like there's – we are on the very front end of the chain reaction, in my opinion. We're not even a year in. And we've seen guys leave their schools and go somewhere else for multi-million dollar NIL deals. And it's just been a small handful. But there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be sitting there right now saying, I'll tell you what, I, if I have the year I want to have, I'm going to get paid. And I'm going to get paid here or I'm going to get paid somewhere else. And I think we're, I think we're just – this window's closed. This transfer window's closed. I think at the end of next year, if, if we don't have anything change, it's going to be madness. The, the Isaiah Wong holdout is at Miami's a, I mean, pretty good example of where this could be headed. And Ted, and I think Mike and I are kind of on the same side on this thing. He's like, is it that bad if that's what it gets? Like, if the guys are like, hey, man, I'm awesome. Pay me. Well, I, I, no, I don't know well, if that's the worst thing in the world. You know what I mean? I, it, well, it's not the worst thing in the world. And I don't think it's going to – college football is always going to be big. People want to watch high-level football. It doesn't matter if it's college or if it's NFL. I, people are going to watch it. But it, there is – it does tinker with – there's a lot of people that are huge college football fans but aren't a fan of the NFL because of – uh, I don't know for whatever reason they may have, but the, the fact that you can go to your school at the stadium at your school where you went, watch a, a team go out there and accomplish big things of guys that go there that you feel like you have a, a tie to those guys. It just changes things whenever we're basically throwing the tradition and you know, the yeah school stuff out the window and it just becomes, you know, it's, it becomes pro football. And I, I think it's probably a lot like most big changes that happen that come up upon you really quickly. There's a big resistance to it at first, but then over time you get used to it. Everyone, you know, becomes okay with the new model. I think there is quite a bit of that going on. And I, I find it hard to believe that ultimately people are going to stop going to watch their, their team play because they paid a bunch of money for, you know, the kid from Pitt. I mean, that's not going to happen, but I do think it, I do think it already is. And I know that there's a difference between the top level schools and the mid-level schools. I just think this, this creates more separation. There are no bad. This isn't the NFL where you have guidelines you have a draft, you have a salary cap. There's, there's things that you have to do and everyone can share their money to where pretty much everyone can afford the same things. If you manage your salary cap, right? This is not that this is a handful of teams have access to unlimited amount of money and the rest have access to almost no money. That's not a very fair system and not that it's ever been fair. I just think that this creates even a, a wider chasm. 
Well, it now because we have to see it, right? Because I would I would argue that the chasm's always been wide. We've dealt with a college football playoff era where there's basically two good teams every year. Mm-hmm. Like we never even have competitive semifinal games. As someone who's been on the receiving end of some of those ass kickings, like it hadn't always gone super well. So oh, I think there's we, always you know the feeling. <laughs> this is a support I, group. I think there's something to be said that it probably separates the top handful of teams from everyone else, but it may tighten the, the, the gap between those top handful of teams. Like if you see what USC is doing, like maybe someone could make the argument that, you know, those teams that have access to that are going to become a lot closer than they are right now, where you can't just go out and recruit all these guys and hang on to them because you win every year. Now someone could come in and pay for your guys. Yep. And, and that part's going to be interesting. So, but like even leaving aside the competitive balance thing, because I think college football's always been this weird roller coaster of when resources hit particular programs, when some school comes into a donor with a bunch of oil money. You've seen some schools now with young tech donors who have decided to give boatloads of money. And all of a sudden that boat, like college football's always been this wave of that. But to your point, because really, I, I think the center of the discomfort, whether it is for fans or for people covering the media, like the unspoken thing feels like, what if this affects the game we love enough to where people stop watching? And now this thing that's helped all of us is suddenly lesser than. And I look at that and say, I can understand what you just described, people being uncomfortable with so much change. I will be stunned if they truly go away from all of this. And if they do, listen, I can't fault people like what you like. There's a lot of stuff to watch and do right now. And if this changes enough to where it's not for you anymore, that's great. I always just ask people to pause and ask yourself why. Because for most people that are diehard fans, a college football fan, we've known the funny money stuff has been going on under the table. We know that underground market for players and all the things that go on there. We know the battle for resources. I mean, hell, how many college game day pieces do we do about that Clemson slide? Like, (laughs) we've known this has been a ridiculous, gaudy show of wealth for so long. Coaching salaries, all of it's bloated. It is too big to fail. And now money just leaked into this one new part. And the only thing I'll say is if you came to college football solely because you like the fact that the players don't get paid, just explore that for a second. Like maybe get to know a couple of players, talk to a couple of guys whose families come from hard times who are trying to keep that group of folks who are busting their ass and their literal body to try and get to the place where they can make that money. And then tell me how that still seems like something that should be an appealing part of the game. That should be the reason that you go away. The business of college football has already been there. It's oh, I mean, it's a huge part of how we talk about and cover the sport. It has been for a while. Like that part's not new. It's just new with this one group of people. And if everyone does a little soul searching and just ask, why does that make me so uncomfortable? And if it has to do with that dynamic that, man, I'm not comfortable seeing these guys get more. You hear so many people all the time. The scholarship's enough. The market says that these guys can get more and people were happy to pay it. Like we, we don't get to go back on that. We get like, I can't justify going back to that old way and saying, no, that's enough because clearly they are worth more. An open market has said, these guys are worth more. And I can't ask them to take less now just so I can enjoy something the way I've always enjoyed it. I I don't think that's morally justifiable. And if it changes college football forever, then maybe it shouldn't have survived as long as it did that way. 
if that's what had to go on as we built the rest of this up around these guys. Guys, I don't think we solved anything. No. <laughs> I, uh, we, that was not helpful for anyone. I, well, I think it's too early to solve anything, honestly. I'm like can, a- I, can I posit one thing that I think in the early going should be the priority for anyone trying to solve anything? I think as soon as a player commits to a school, there needs to be a plan in place to get those players resources while they are young to make sure, Hey, we can get you access to a lawyer. If you need someone to read these contracts, Hey, we can get you access to someone safely vetted that can negotiate these deals. If you're looking for that. And I know that's a little more tenuous. There are a lot of rules about that, but finding structured ways to get resources in the hands of young people. So we don't see bad contracts signed by these guys. So we don't see adults who are savvier at this taking advantage of, kids and having that become an issue i think the transfer windows are a good start but i think that needs to be the priority if this is still these colleges want to live by that mission statement that they are building young men and they are educators and all this stuff actually do the job in an area that could be super super important to getting them financial literacy wise started off on the right foot i think that's got to be a must right and and a lot of schools i i feel like are are educating those guys, but not until they get on campus. Yeah. And you got guys signing deals, NIL deals with agents or collectives that have exclusivity clauses in them. And you're just like, Oh no, what is, what, what's he doing? So I'm, I'm with you. Golik. We could go on forever with you, man. I mean, we, we really could. I, I I'm fired up for you and, and what you're doing. Everyone go check out Gojo presented by DraftKings. I love you, man. You're the best. Love you too, buddy. Always a pleasure catching up with you guys. Obviously, as uh, as we just talked about, I am now the guest booker. So as we get closer and closer to college football season, keep those phones on loud because your boy <laughs> will be calling. Yes, sir. You, Hey, Big 12 OU, you know we got you, man. I love that, man. He's the best. Great stuff as always. He's, uh, I need to check out the podcast. Uh, that's probably going to be a really good one. And I like that move for him. I do think that's going to be good. I, I'm curious, like, sounds like he's still going to be doing some college football stuff. I wonder who it's for. I can't imagine it's for ESPN. So Fox, CBS. There's not a whole lot of. Like, if it's not ESPN, it's probably not CBS, right? But I don't know. I don't Maybe. know. It would be interesting. But yeah. I I really wanted him to tell us. But he, <laughs> I, I get why he can't. I, I totally right. understand. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first! Which, can I say that the, um, the caption this photo with you and Baker – the guy that had, hey, Baker, I can't wait to catch up. But first, that was hilarious. That that, that won it, right? I, I don't even remember when the but first thing started. <laughs> but now that people, people, I, I assume, hate it slash love it. I, just, I, I can't deviate from it now. It's been established. It's like, hey, Gabe, uh, can we take a picture? But first, sign this football for me. That's great. It's time to get back out on the golf course, people, and there's nothing better to drink on the course than the number one seltzer in golf, Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. Tastes exactly like a club special, 
but it's a seltzer. They're not just for the golf course either. They're perfect to drink by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. Clubby's first variety pack is coming out this month. To find a place near you that has Clubby's, visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention, business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Yeah, you do. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? A little different route today for a uh, winner of the week, but I've got to go with Dave Chappelle's security team. <laughs> <laughs> what What was that? I don't know, but it was it was wild. Dave Chappelle saying, was that Will Smith? was hilarious. And that dude, did you see the video of him on the stretcher? Oh, yeah. The arm? The arm going the wrong way. He looked like a tarantula. That was not a good look. Isaiah Lee, I think he's 20-year-old, jumped up on the stage, went after Dave Chappelle, instantly regretted it. There's the uh, picture of the arm. <laughs> oh, man. That mm. is ugly. Yeah. Um, messed around and found out jumping up on stage to uh, try and take out Dave Chappelle. Mm. Just that is brutal. Yeah. The, the elbow is supposed to be pointing the other way, not, yeah. not forward. That, yeah, you're right. You messed around and found out, huh? I, out of all the comedians to go after, Dave Chappelle, like Dave Chappelle's a big guy, too. Yeah. yeah, he used to be like super skinny and gangly, and over the years, put on a little bit of weight, put on some muscle. Big he's, dude. He's not Dave Chappelle from Half Baked anymore. <laughs> no, no. He's, he's like the, the the dude. Dude knows where the weight room is at. Yeah, I saw that video. I was like, out of all the people after going after Chappelle, and then, ooh, that arm. That's. That's going to take some time to fix, man. Like, <laughs> just brutal. It's like it. Just pop that sucker back into place and you're off. It's not going to be one of those. Probably a bit of surgery going to be included and possibly a little bit of jail time, too. Maybe good for recovery. Uh, hopefully, has a good cellmate. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but the thing about it is, no one loves Dave Chappelle. So, people, people that he serves time with, they're going to, they're going to love the fact that, he uh he attacked him yeah, uh, that, yeah. I, i'm sure that's gonna go well for him be welcomed in with open arms yeah open <laughs> never mind i'm not gonna go there all right who do you have as your loser of the week okay now i will say this isn't just a total bad thing but i had to go with ou baseball 
dropping one to Dallas Baptist last night, 10 to one. They haven't beat Dallas Baptist on the road since 2010. Dallas Baptist is like our main nemesis whenever it comes uh, to the baseball. And last night was, again, uh, we got a mental block or something with DBU. But I will say this. Baseball's done well. Won five of the last six. They've got an opportunity to uh, to continue to climb the rankings in the Big 12. I think they currently sit third and may have a chance if they win two out of three against TCU to get really close to, to getting up there into second place. going to be hard to, to pass OSU, but the baseball's done better, but Dallas Baptist continues to be a roadblock. 10 to 1. 10 to 1. We can't one. Dallas Baptist on the road, dude. Since 2010. Brutal. 10 to 1. I what do you even say after a game like that in college baseball? When you are when you're like the the bigger school and you're supposed to I what what does T Rowe say about it? Like, what's the issue with Dallas Baptist? I don't I don't know. It's a good, it's a good school. They've got a good baseball team. Um, they've got a real good coach, but I don't know. I say stop scheduling. That's what I've, I've, I've been joking about it on my radio show for years that we got to stop scheduling Dallas Baptist, but we continue to play them and we continue to get beat. I, I follow OU baseball basically through Toby Rowland and Eddie Radosevich's Twitter feed. Like yeah. that's, that's where I get my OU baseball content and didn't, uh, didn't seem like things went well against Dallas Baptist. That's what I'll say. Just, uh, just from, just from following it that way. No, but they they've played better and they've got some decent opportunities coming up down the stretch. Yeah. How about that? Some some college baseball content. Yeah. That may be a first. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us branch it out. That's right. All right. Let's get to my winner and loser. But first. Scrolling first, Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to go buy some of my favorite Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, back in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition. 
beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen and became the first American distillery ever to win that competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yeah, they're from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with Bedlam Softball. Man, I mean, going to be awesome this weekend. You got Thursday night primetime on ESPN. You got it on ESPN2 on Friday. You got ESPNU on Saturday. It's all sold out. Home Run Village is back. Oh, and your boy will be in attendance Thursday and Saturday. One of us is going, and one of us turned an invite down to go. Just saying. Uh, well, it's I'm going to be taking part in Diamond Sports. Uh, the 7U Stars have a big league game going on that night, Gabe. Sorry. Oh, cho- choosing your son over OU softball. Look, <laughs> who do you think you are? No, I. for those of you wondering, I invited Teddy and his wife to come with me and my wife. They had a conflict with their son's baseball game. So yeah. we'll... We'll both be we'll both be living the diamond sport life, which which should be a lot of fun. I also thought about going with Ryan Tannehill. He's getting some backlash for saying it's not his job to mentor Malik Willis. And I really don't get why so many people are mad at him for that. Like it's not like he came out and said, I'm not going to help Malik Willis at all. That guy can go screw himself. Like he did not say that. He he's going to help him along the way, but I want my quarterback to be competitive as hell. Like, what do you want the guy to say? Like, hey, you know what, guys? I am going to do everything I can to make sure that Malik takes my job. I'm going to I'm going to help him as much as I can to, you know, he already has better, better physical gifts than me. So I, I'm going to make sure I make him better than me mentally and understanding the offense just so, so he can get on the field. Like, what do you want the guy to say? He's a competitor. He's a professional. Hey. I wanted him to say exactly that. That would be awesome if he said, hey, it's my full intention to, as quickly as possible, help Malik Willis take my job. Um, that, that's what I want to do. I'm going to make him the best quarterback on our roster and that way they'll be able to release me and free up some salary room and have him on a rookie deal where they can go out there, sign a, a big pass rusher, maybe a cover corner, maybe a big-time wide receiver. That's what I'm trying to do because I'm a team guy. Yeah, I just – people people have such unrealistic expectations. Like, just because he didn't say, like, oh, no, I'm going to make it my life's goal to mentor him and make him an incredible player. Like, Ryan Tannehill, I know guys that are on that team. They say Tannehill's an awesome dude. He's, he's going to help Malik Willis, but he wants to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's got to look out for himself first and foremost. Not that, like, this, oh, you got to look out for the team. Dude, this is pro sports. These are, are these- all individual contractors, man. Like, it's not... It's not the same. Like, you got to look out for yourself. And if you look out for yourself and you play at the highest level you can play at, guess what it does? It helps the team. That's yeah, the NFL. I, I think people are that are upset that he doesn't want to mentor or be responsible for the development of 
Malik Willis. I feel like it's the same people that are upset that their kid that's laying on the ground picking clovers doesn't get the opportunity to play starting quarterback on the little league football team, right? It, come on. Th- this is this is about the the best survive. It's cutthroat, man. You've got to go out there and perform. And whether everyone says it or not, there's a massive amount of tension lying just below the surface in an NFL locker room, especially in training camp, right? And he's the leader of that team. But now I know that they got Derrick Henry. They got Taylor Lewan. I get it. But he he's the quarterback. He's the face of that team. And he just got an incredible amount of criticism with the way that he played in that playoff game. Said he had to go to therapy because of it. He should have said that. Why would you guys want me to mentor him? Did you see how I played in the playoff game? You don't, you don't want him learning anything from me. Oh, it, that would have been great. You guys are the ones that are always write about how awful I am. Why would you want me to influence him? That would have been, <laughs> oh, that would have been amazing. But I just, I thought people, some people's reaction to that was just, dude, I want, now I thought that was the perfect amount of competitive, competitiveness displayed by a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Yeah. I was like, yeah, great answer. And some people are like, oh, not a team guy. Oh, shut up. Yeah, don't pick and choose, right? It, you know, if he if he comes out and says that, there's probably also going to be people saying, well, gosh, he's not he's not invested enough. He doesn't want to be the guy if he wants to help the the backup, you know, whatever. It was a Can't win. It, it was a yeah, no win situation for him. But my winner of the week, the Big Ten Conference. Whoa. Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren said that the Big Ten expects to have an agreement in place on a new media rights deal for the conference around Memorial Day. And the details of what networks are involved haven't been released, but it has been reported that Fox is keeping its Big Ten stuff. Uh, NBC was reportedly making a big push to get some Big Ten stuff as well. We'll see what type of role ESPN has, but... The deal, reportedly, will bring the Big Ten Conference nearly $1.1 billion, with a B, dollars per season. $1.1 billion per season. That would approximately be $78.5 million per school. Whoa. And, and li- listen, the Big Ten, it's got a huge footprint, and those schools have huge alumni bases. But damn, Ted, I mean, the SEC and Big Ten with these media rights deals, they're breaking away from the rest of the Power Five. I mean, they're bringing in so much more money than the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and the ACC. And the ACC's TV deal is awful. And I think this will have Big Ten schools make it like five times what ACC schools are bringing in from their media rights deal. It's this is big business, man. I guess good for the Big Ten. And since OU is going to be in the SEC eventually, like I'm not that worried about it. But this gap between the SEC and the Big Ten and everyone else is getting it's getting huge, man. Uh, anytime I see something like this, all I can think about is how great it must be to be a freeloader 
Think about Rutgers, Maryland. $78 million a year for what? To finish in the bottom of the conference in every sport? Talk about, I mean, that's the American dream. To be so bad at everything that you get paid a ton of money to be a blocking dummy every single year in every single sport, right? Just amazing. That Are is... they getting a full share yet? I don't know. I, I won't pretend that I know all the uh, all the details when they added, you know, added a couple schools. But but think about Northwestern, and I know they've held up there into the bargain the last five years. Now, last season did not go well, but every, about every four or five years, when they have a big group of seniors or something, they'll they'll put out a decent team. Yeah, I think they played for the Big Ten title two out of three years. Remember, so yeah. I just. The Pac-12 and the Big 12, they've got new TV deals coming up, right? On the heels of the Big 10s, they're not going to get anything close to this. I just, Crazy. it is, and, and I will say this. It kind of has to piss you off, though, right? If you're Ohio State or Michigan, you know, Michigan makes a, a college football playoff and what makes a Sweet 16, that's like two or three Sweet 16s in a row. And it's all, it's, all it's what OU has done for how long in the Big I know. 12? That's so why it, they finally said, we're out of here. It, it is what it is. I will say this. I saw this and I went, yeah, I don't really have a problem if the guys are getting, getting big NIL deals. I'm cool with it. 1.1 billion a season. Crazy. I, yeah, get, get the guys And they're not going to allocate one iota of that yearly payout to the NIL stuff. That's 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 a whole separate animal, man. Whew. A lot of money. A lot yeah. of money being floated around. Yeah. All right, for my loser of the week, thought about going with Scott Frost. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't have let that analyst coach special teams, I suppose, Scott. That is, I mean, the one-year show cause, five-day suspension in the championship segment of the season, which just... I mean, it allowed people to dunk all over Nebraska and what a failure they've been these last several years. The, there's some other stuff in there, but man, not, not what Scott Frost needed heading into a season where he is undoubtedly coaching for his job. It's not, but this goes back to the conversation we had with Golik. This is why everyone hates the NCAA. You have Kansas on audio tape exchanging money with recruits via shoe deal money. Totally illegal at the and, time. And remember, the FBI gift-wrapped them all yeah. that stuff and said, here you go, NCA. FBI has it. It's all done. Nothing happens. And you got Nebraska who gets punished because a coach is out there holding a dummy in special teams drills. What are we? What are we doing? I, why? Why can't analysts coach in practice? Like a game day, okay, right? Like I, I get it, but it's we're talking about practice. Like why can't an analyst? Why can't every analyst in the country not coach during practice? Because it's a competitive disadvantage for teams that can't hire, afford to hire 
as many analysts as the top teams. Yet, you could do the money, the shoe money deal. That's not a competitive disadvantage. It's a joke. Every, there's no consistency across anything that the NCAA does. It's ridiculous. Let, let the analyst coach. Damn it. But, okay, for my loser of the week, also thought about, also thought about going with Brittany Griner. She's still being detained in Russia. 76 days. And I, I will say, good news for her. Last couple days, I, I think, government now says she is being wrongfully detained by the Russians. And I, I guess that means they tell Russia's legal process to get lost and they ramp up efforts to bring her home and like try to strike a deal. I, I don't know. All I know is this is going to make an awesome 30 for 30. But Brittany Grider, that 76 days in Russia for like a, a weed vape cartridge. My God, Lee, man, that's now that's rough. Is it our government that says she's being wrongfully detained. Correct. I love that. I love how our government tells other countries how their laws are incorrect and you're holding someone incorrectly. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, here's the thing. The timing for Brittany Griner could not have been worse no. at all. Like no. almost to the day. WNBA season starts in like two or three days. I wonder if she's been able to hoop over there. Like when in, in, in wherever she's being held, like is she, has she been crafting like her post moves? Has she been working on her, on her fadeaway? Maybe it's one of those situations where it's, it's indoor and like the corner spots in there, like you see in like really nice houses, right? So maybe she's just been working the middle of the floor. I, I don't know. but I have a feeling that a seven foot Brittany Griner may not be the biggest woman in that, in that prison. Like that's the one play. I, if you could pick, you know, on one hand, the countries where you don't want to go to prison, Russia is definitely on that list. Uh, yeah. All right. But my loser of the week, the Milwaukee Bucks. Ooh. Hand up. Maybe I overreacted to game one. Or, hey, maybe it was the fact that Bill Belichick was up there whispering in, in Brad Stevens' ears. I, I don't know, but the Boston They checked Celtics, the pressure of that basketball? Yeah. The uh, deflate gate NBA style. But the Boston Celtics looked awesome in game two. They were rocking the green jerseys. Jalen Brown came out on fire shooting the ball. Uh, Jason Tatum shot it well. I, I believe they combined it with like 11 of 20 from three for the, the two stars for the Celtics. Did it all without Marcus Smart. And I thought offensively as far, they, they moved the ball a lot better and made the defense, uh, the Bucks defense rotate and move. And they, they just, they looked awesome and they shot the hell out of the ball. But the thing that stood out, Grant Williams, thick guy, knows where the weight room is, no doubt. I thought he did a really good job of making things tough on Giannis. Like, Giannis can shoot everything over him, but just, like, as far as staying in front of him and bodying him up physically, it's about as good of a job as I can remember someone doing on Giannis. And Grant Williams also went six of nine, nice, from three. Had 21 points in that game as well. So, I... I'm not an analytic specialist, 
but the Bucks shot 18 threes and the Celtics shot 43. So I, I don't know, but that was a hell of a win by Boston. That I, I am so excited for that series. I, I'm excited for Memphis and Golden State. Also, what Ja had what 47 in that win, and he he's the most entertaining player in the league to watch. But man, I like watching the Celtics. I think this is going to be an awesome series between them and the Bucks. Yeah, that that other series was a uh, was a beatdown. They're people getting kicked out, flipping the bird, throwing elbows, blood all over the court. It was wild. Um, but I, you're right on Grant Williams. If if you d up the freak and then hit six and nine on uh, threes on the other end, that's a night right oh, there. Yeah. That's that's impressive. Yeah, but that. I hope that goes seven, and we'll see when Middleton comes back. If it's game three, maybe it's not until game four, but that could be a lot of fun, and we'll see when Marcus Smart can get back. That dude, that dude's beat up, man. But I don't know. I don't know. I I love the NBA playoffs. I know the NHL playoffs are on right now, but for me, it's still NBA and then NHL. NHL's getting the uh, getting the iPad treatment for me, Ted. <laughs> Yeah, they're both good, man, and it's interesting those those sports where they have the long seasons. But you can see, you can see like the dog days of the season, like what you're really getting out of them. Whenever you flip it on and it's the playoffs, right? The game totally changes. Like playoff hockey is awesome. I mean, yeah. it's it, it is as good of a sport as there is to watch and. Playoff NBA basketball, whenever the, the stakes get high, it's it's awesome to watch too. The the third period of playoff hockey and the fourth quarter of NBA playoff basketball. Yeah. Hell yeah. On that note, episode 211 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have a great weekend. And guys, don't forget, Sunday is Mother's Day. Plan accordingly. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more